1: Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, and I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock Paper Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music and technology. And I'm super pumped because it seems like this time of year, every year, I get to talk to this guy. Uh, When I first talked to him back in uh, May of 2019, he was the CEO of Dubset. Um, And actually, last year, I spoke with um, Evan Lowenstein, the founder of Stageit at this exact time. And this year, I get to bring Stephen White back, who is now the CEO of Stageit. Stephen, it's great to be with you again. How you doing?
0: Hey, Dimitri. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, and I love talking to you because you have an extensive music technology background. You were president at Grace Notes, and we've talked about some of your previous positions. Um, and, you know, we ran into each other at music industry conferences. And so we've been following a lot of the same trends, even though our career paths are very different. And Yeah, so- we
0: met long ago in an airport in, uh, in Frankfurt, I believe. <laughs> On our way to on our way to meet them.
1: Yes. And I think it was my pants and your shirt, crazy shirts that brought us together.
0: (laughs) That's the truth. That's the truth. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great to to
1: have you. So let's just dive in for anyone who doesn't fully know what stage it is. How do you describe it?
0: Stage it is a ticketed live streaming platform. Uh, All events on the platform are paid. There are no free shows Uh, And it's really uh, a stage for performers who want to perform to audiences virtually, um, wherever they may be across the globe.
1: Right. Cool. And so as I said, we spoke with Evan, the founder, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic back in April of 2020, um, when he was hit with a tidal wave of renewed interest. And it was so fun to get him on. We did a bunch of um, podcasts specifically around some of the things that were popping up during the pandemic. And live streaming was one we leaned, leaned into heavily. But it was literally like weeks. It was weeks into this. And you could just hear it in his voice. Um, he had said, Hey, we, we basically pulled the oars in. We tried lots of different stuff and and some things stuck and some things didn't but you could hear he was like and now all of a sudden there's like a tidal wave of interest behind us and things are changing Um, so there was lots of renewed interest so I want to ask you quickly just to kind of connect the dots for anyone that's been listening through the entire pandemic to now where we're finally starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel some of the things that he talked about I know for example one thing that was kind of interesting and different about stage it especially because it was started so much earlier than a lot of the platforms that came in you had something called Called notes, which were these ten cent currency notes, which was the method for ticketing and tipping. Is that still the method that you guys use?
0: Yeah, and just you know, maybe just a quick nod to to Evan. You know, Stage It um, really was an amazing idea, just way before its time. And like a lot of um, you know, innovative uh, entrepreneurs, Evan, you know, was right. He was just right early, right and. And as we all know, that there's a combination of timing, luck, et cetera, that leads to success. But to his credit, um, they were very thoughtful about the platform that they built originally. And he kept it going, you know, through these multiple years between 2015 and 2020, when there was limited interest, people were using the platform, but it really hadn't taken off, you know, like it has since the pandemic. And. Who knew that it was going to be a global pandemic that would pour gasoline on the business you know, model? But that, that is exactly what happened. So there's a couple of things in terms of kind of features and functions that um, Evan was very thoughtful about being an artist himself. And, and the first was notes. And the reason we use notes as a virtual currency is to abstract away the, the idea of dollars and cents. Many artists are not comfortable talking to fans about money. Uh, It's this kind of uncomfortable tension that comes up. Um, And you see this anytime you see artists kind of busking on Facebook or Instagram where they're, you know, throwing up their Venmo links or throwing up their Cash App links and they kind of awkwardly between songs, they're like, hey guys, you know, if you want to tip me, you know, you write down there. And it's just, it's always this weird, awkward thing. By abstracting that away and creating this virtual currency inside of Stage It, it's a lot like poker chips in Vegas. You know, everybody's just playing with this, you know, virtual money. And at the end of the day, it's dollars and cents beneath it. But it makes it much more comfortable for both artists and fans. In some
1: ways, it's kind of prescient in in terms of the relationship with cryptocurrency and NFTs. Like creating a this this kind of this other NFT. It basically, I mean, it's not on the on the blockchain, obviously, but it's not fungible.
0: <laughs> yeah, th- that's right, and it it could. In the future, no, no, uh, no guarantees, but it could be yeah. on the blockchain. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's quite a bit here that just fits into kind of the evolution of how we think about currency. Yeah.
1: And, and so, just to be clear, just, again, to, to get to some of those like early thought around how you build a live streaming product before this became like a, a Zoom everyday world situation, you guys allow artists to sell tickets or receive tips, right? That's still accurate.
0: It's both. So every show is ticketed. There are no free shows. Every show has to have a ticket associated with it. We do have what's called a pay what you can feature. A lot of artists do use that. You can set a minimum set, a suggested price and then allow people to pay what they want to pay. In those instances, most people pay what you've requested them to pay, but sometimes people pay less. Sometimes people pay more. It typically averages out at, at what the artist has requested. But it's a nice way to give a nod to the fact that people are hurting during the pandemic. People are out of work. There's, you know, it's tough times for folks. And, you know, in general, you know, entertainment can get expensive. We've got multiple subscriptions. We've got all these things that we do these days. And uh, I think Evan really wanted early on to make it easy for folks to get into these shows, knowing that once you're there, you will tip. And the tipping behavior on the site is a huge part of what makes Stage It special. Um, and I know we're gonna talk more about that, but yes, ticket, tickets and tipping today are the two methods that artists or performers have to earn and generate revenue.
1: And, you know it does it does lead to a certain philosophy uh, you know putting those features in kind of point to a certain philosophy about the value of music which has only become even more of an important topic as shifts have happened in how music is getting consumed digitally whether it's live performance or record or whatever I even remember Evan talking about something called hitchhiking where fans would buy somebody else tickets um, but it's still put saying look there is a there is a dollar value associated with what somebody is doing um, he mentioned and top tipper awards? Is that still something that plays out?
0: Yeah. So the tipping, as I mentioned, the tipping piece is, is a huge part of the platform. And it's, it's gamified within the platform, meaning that every performer has the opportunity to create sets of rewards for the top tippers. And then during the show, as people are tipping, there's a leaderboard and you can see you know, where you are in your ranking um, as it relates to other tippers. You don't know how much other folks have tipped, but you know what your ranking is. And the way the rewards typically work is like the top tipper gets X, second tipper gets Y. And those rewards can be pretty amazing things. I mean, Yellow Wolf gave away uh, appearances in his next five music videos. You know, DJ Williams gave away a signed custom guitar um, as did Brett Williams from Poison. You know, we, we've we had lots of uh, artists do some pretty incredible things. Blue October gave away a f- uh, individual concert to the Top Tipper, a 30-minute, you know, one-on-one concert. And, you know, the tipping behaviors because of that um, are pretty significant. Tipping ends up being 40 to 50% of the revenue that's generated for these shows. And it's a pretty significant uplift from what these folks would receive on any of the other platforms, you're playing on any of the other streaming platforms that don't support this, you're getting 40 to 50 percent less revenue because you don't have that capability to generate this additional 40 to 50 percent. So it, it's really, really important part of what we do. Artists love it. Fans love it. It's really a cool. And it as you start to think about how you introduce you know, virtual merchandise and other things into the mix. It, again, is, is somewhat prescient in that, you know, these are all things now that we can build around in terms of that kind of behavioral um, capability on the platform to incent and incite people to tip. And then hitchhiking, you mentioned, um, you know, hitchhiking is, again, a really cool part of the platform if you don't have the ability to buy a ticket, even pay what you can, or for some of the the shows that can get more expensive, some of the shows can be 30, 40, 50 bucks a ticket. Um, Folks can hitchhike and the purchasing of tickets for others. So if you buy a hitchhiker, a ticket that goes towards the rewards. And so it's equivalent to tipping. So it's a really feel good way for fans to bring other fans into shows and to also then be, you know, eligible for these rewards. So it's a, it's a great part of of this thing. And I think behind it all is the idea that a performer's time is worth something. <clears throat> and it is monetized. And it's not, you know, we don't believe that performers should be performing for free. The idea that, you know, you're doing it for fame, you're doing it for the exposure, like that's just... That's the way that the, you know, the the incumbent players have used to get performers to do things for free for years and years and years, and it's time for it to stop.
1: That must feel great for you to be uh, working at a company that that has that at the core.
0: It it really does. Everything here is artist first, performer first. Um, we believe really strongly that our job, our role, is to facilitate this, you know, pairing of, of artists and fans in a way that enables an artist to continue to, to practice their craft. You know, if these folks aren't making money creating art, they won't create art anymore. So it's really, really important that we find ways to help artists monetize their creativity and to do so in ways that brings real value to fans, you know, and if you do that, and if you find, if you're really creating and, and providing value to the fans, the fans will bend over backwards for you and they will, they'll shower you with dollars. And, you know, we, we see this happening, um, you know, kind of time and time again, and there's really cool, um, kind of cool monetization behaviors that have evolved around some of these artists. Like there's a, there's one artist on the platform, Paul Corella. He's a Scottish guy. Um, he was in the, I think he was in the Scottish Air Force, if I'm not mistaken. But his, his, he was a captain and his fans call him, you know, captain. And so um, in the middle of his set, there's always someone that will they'll throw out, the throw a coin for your captain. And everybody in the show will start throwing, you know, note one note, Coins, so it's this equivalent of ten cents. It's kind of throwing dimes, but it just showers, you know, for the entirety of the song. Like those kind of behaviors are very, very cool. The fans get really into it. It really makes the artists feel good, and that's what this is all about. Is you know, in addition to giving you access to these artists, is it's creating that community around the fan artist interaction.
1: All right, this is awesome, Stephen. We've kind of gotten caught up from sort of that earlier interview that we did with, with, with Stage It. Um, and I want to take a quick break for an announcement. But when we come back, I want to ask you about what engagement uh, has been like since the pandemic. So we'll be sure. right back. All right, cool. We'll be right back. The annual Music Tech Tectonic conference is known for bringing together people from across the music tech landscape to share ideas and get business done. In 2021, our unique conference approach invites a global audience to participate in parallel universes, in the metaverse, across the planet, and on a carousel by the sea. Mark your calendar for online events October 25th through October 27th, and in-person events outdoors by the sea in Los Angeles on November 2nd. We're maximizing what virtual events do best with two unique platforms. In the morning, we'll bring together dynamic and interactive panels of thought leaders plus our world-famous speed networking so you can share ideas and build relationships frictionlessly across time zones. In the afternoon, we'll add even more serendipity as we invite you to the metaverse, Join us for that feeling of togetherness as you move your avatar through the crowd at a musical instrument demo, drop into the virtual expo hall, or strike up a chance conversation. Don't just talk about innovation in music, experience it at a conference like no other, Music Tectonics. Learn more and get a special early bird ticket price starting June 1st at musictectonics.com. All right, Steven, we are back. Um, like I said, I wanted to ask you about uh, what's been happening since the last time we had Stage It on the podcast, which is basically almost the entirety of the pandemic. Can you share with us some stats about use and engagement since the pandemic started?
0: Yeah, it's, it's been really incredible. Um, you know, Stage It in 2020 hosted uh, 6,200, a little over 6,200 shows. Uh, to give you a sense, that's about 12% of the paid live streaming market.
1: Nice. So it's
0: a, a very significant percentage in terms of number of shows. Um, and that's really you know what we're about. We're, we're the only open platform, meaning you know, any artist can come sign up and perform. There's no gate in front of you. You don't have to be approved by stage it to perform. And that's kind of you know core at our ethos is, you know, a stage for every performer and a front row seat for every fan. Uh, And so that the number of performances has been amazing. And what we've seen is kind of the average spend per user continue to tick up. You know, it's about $17 uh, per user at this point, which is a a really healthy number. Um, Fans come back time and time again. We have a very loyal fan base. Um, There's about 900,000 users on the platform right now, fans. Um, they, they attend an average of, of two shows a month when they're active. So if they're attending shows, not everyone attends shows all the time. Uh, but when they're attending shows, they tend to come back You know, to two shows a month. Um, and so it's been really, really fantastic. Um, the, the time that people spend in these shows has increased. The average show for us is 60 minutes. People spend an average of 55 minutes Mm -hmm. per show, so they're staying for the whole thing, which is great, Um, which is very different from other platforms. If you look at engagement on Twitch, you look at engagement on Instagram, YouTube, people kind of drop in and drop out. Um, And what we really are proud of on stage, it is you're creating this intimate experience and people want to be there Um, because you're you're sitting right in the front row seat with this this, uh, artist that you care about. It's, it's pretty, pretty incredible.
1: Well, and there's probably a sign that, you know, ticketed events keep people's attention too. they've already committed, they've paid, even if it's 10 yeah. cents, they've paid to be there.
0: Yeah, that, that's right. Um, but I think what you do find, um, depending on the, the performer and some of the other platforms, I think have, you know, much shorter average, um, you know, session times, um, and then just a, a couple other stats for you. Um, we're delivering content to 135 countries now. Um, we have had a, a very significant focus on international expansion. We have quite a bit of consumption that happens um, in Europe. Um, very, very popular with uh, Irish artists. We have a, kind of the who's who of the Irish, uh, uh, Irish artists on the platform, uh, which is great. Um, we also have launched into Africa this year. First ticketed live stream platform that's live in Africa. Um, that's been amazing with a lot of shows in Nigeria and South Africa. Just amazing you know, music uh, cultures there. And uh, We've been really pleased to bring some amazing content online with our partner. We have a part, dedicated partner there called Stream It Africa.
1: Oh, very cool. Wow. that That's, I mean, that's one of the things we've seen with the Music Tectonics Conference as we had to shift online was the global presence has just transformed what what's the community, you know, like who—who who is joining the conversation or the concert or the event and so forth. And uh, that kind of leads to my next question, um, which almost has an answer built into it. But do you see signs that Stageit was filling a live performance gap in this interim of touring being shut down? Or is there a long term season? Change that's happening here.
0: I mean, I've said this pretty uh, broadly, and I'll, you know, I'll say it again: the future is hybrid. Um, there is no chance that fans who have now experienced, you know, a- at scale, live streaming will go back to a world where they don't use live streaming. It is. It, it's, it's the, and the, uh, the analogy I like to use is sports. You know, when sports first started to be put on TV, everyone freaked out. They're like, well, no one's going to go to the games anymore. And it's just it's, it's a really failed kind of you know, argument. The live event is a special and unique thing in and of itself. And nothing is ever going to replace that. Those of us that love going to live music shows will always go to live music shows because we love that experience of being in the room, being there with the musicians, being there with the other fans. But the convenience of live streaming, much like broadcast, you know, to sports, there are times where I want to still see a show. You know, I want to watch a show at Red Rocks in Colorado, and I'm not flying to Colorado to go see the show. You know, i want to sit here in my living room in San Francisco, put it up on my, 70-inch TV, put it on my beautiful sound system and watch a great show. And now that that has become adopted broadly, it's not going backwards. 90% of consumers say they will continue to consume live streams after live music returns.
1: I mean, it makes sense when you put the the sports analogy there because that's been going on for years and years and years. People are fanatical about their teams and they want to see the competition in real time, but they don't necessarily always have the budget to attend or fly someplace and so forth. So that that makes a ton of sense. What's different is that right now, mostly people are purely doing live streaming, which means they are r- live streaming from home or from wherever, backstage, wh- whatever it is right now. In the model that you're talking about that will emerge, they will just be on tour and they'll be reaching an additional audience. Is that right?
0: Yes and no. I think what we we are going to see... Um, especially with acts that aren't kind of the huge acts like the Beyonce's of the world, is you'll see a reduced amount of touring. Um, many of the artists who are performing on stage it are making more than they ever made touring. Um, and doing that from the comfort of their home studios or wherever it is they're performing from, and the ability to then see their families and not have to travel, it's just, you know, we're looking at the broader impact of this from a mental health perspective, you know, it's really a grueling thing to be on the road for 200 days out of the year. Um, and to be touring that much, it's very difficult to be separated from your friends and your family for that long. Um, and we see that, you know, take its toll across, you know, artists all, all across the industry. And there's any number of stories of folks who have succumbed to that, that pressure. Right. And, And we have a a renewed focus on mental health in, in the music industry, which I think is fantastic. We believe very strongly that we can reduce the amount of touring that folks have to do. You don't have to do, you know, 120 stops anymore. You can do 50 stops, you know, and then augment that with X number of live streams and still, you know, likely make more money than you did doing those 120 stops So it's going to evolve a little bit. There's also a big environmental impact. You get less planes, less trains, less automobiles, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's really, there's a lot of positives to it. And, you know, honestly, some of these shows, if you you talk to some of the artists, they're like, yeah, you know, the annual, you know, truck we used to make to, you know, I don't want to pick on any geographic location, random spot, you know, upstate, (laughs) um, you know, we maybe don't have to do that stop anymore. Right. And usually there was only X number of fans that we never sold those shows out. And, you know, those are the kind of things that like, okay, let's bring those folks into a live stream and find a way to give them probably a better experience in some ways by giving them a live stream and better access and better availability of the artists than they would get if they were actually there.
1: That, that makes total sense. Um, you know, but I guess one thing that I am curious about is, uh, you 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 described it as being similar to sports in in one sense because there's kind of demand for people to go to events that they wouldn't necessarily go to. But then you said the hybrid model that you're looking at would be kind of it really would be a hybrid combination of uh, events on stage, which may or may not be live stream. But also, live stream events that are uh, independent of any kind of stage tour and and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and I think that is a a significant difference. And listen, you know, I have my own thoughts on where this goes, but none of us have a crystal ball. Um, But I think what we're seeing is we're seeing artists realize the freedom that this gives them and the, you know, kind of creative freedom as well as the freedom to not have some of these travel constraints that have for so long, you know, been just a a part and parcel of live music. If you wanted to make money, you know, performing live, you had to go on tour and you had to go on tour for a long time. You had to, you know, tour in the U.S. and tour in Europe and tour in Asia and, you know, not every band gets that opportunity, obviously, but, you know, almost every band that's kind of makes it to a certain level has to tour. And what we're finding is you don't you don't have to, you know, like you, you you can and and artists love being on stage for the most part. They like to have fans there. They want that rush of the fan interaction. We're trying to we're working on things to bring that to the virtual events as well right? Um, but it, you know, with this advance in technology comes a change in behavior and that change in behavior has just started. So where it goes, who knows? My feeling pretty strongly is we end up in a hybrid future.
1: So what's going to differentiate stage it in this hybrid world?
0: Well, I think there's a, there's a bunch of things. Um, you know, a lot of them are just, you know, kind of core parts of the platform and the things that we're doing to evolve what stage it is to, you know, create that better virtual experience and to make that virtual experience, you know, as good or better than a live experience. <clears throat> and, you know, again, for some folks that'll never get there because they're such live music fanatics, but for the average consumer, you know, Making it so they don't have to pay for parking and get a babysitter and pay 14 bucks for a drink and do all the things that come with, you know, kind of going out to a show that brings a lot of real convenience to them. But, you know, in addition to that, it's, you know, this open accessibility, the idea that there are thousands and thousands of performances on stage it for you to, you know, to experience um, the top um, ticket buyer on stage at last year attended 640 shows. Um, just think about that. That's like two shows a day. <laughs> um, and that's just you know because they have the opportunity to experience, you know, show after show after show and see new different types of music. Um, the global expansion piece, I think it's really, really important. Um, the platforms that win are going to have global footprints and are going to support content from everywhere. Uh, And enable folks to, you know, experience artists, you know, small, emerging to big and established and everything in between. Um, And I think really evolving the fan experience, providing more ways for fans and artists to have these authentic connections um, is really just a core part of everything that we do. You know, we, we we love some of the virtual stuff. We love some of the things that are happening, you know, with, with some of that. But we don't think there's any replacement for connecting, you know, in, in real life here. You know, virtually, yes. But, you know, looking at somebody performing, seeing them actually perform um, and having that experience of kind of feeling like you're sitting in their living room and watching them, it's pretty special. And there, there's been... You know, there's been moments here where some of my own music, you know, icons performing on stage and I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, I'm I feel like I'm sitting right next to these people, you know, and it's it's just absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting of just the intention of a show versus like just picking up your phone and shooting an Instagram. Or, or something like that, where I, certainly in the early days of the pandemic, it felt sort of like people were just like, w- let me just do this thing. Um, whereas it sounds like you guys are really calling for like an intentionality that, that's, uh, that's specific to that community, that platform and the features of the platform as well. Um,
0: yeah, it's amazing to watch that evolve too. Um, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, people, you know, used whatever they had and just were firing stuff up wherever they were, Right. Um, now, a year later, you see artists that have been doing this for a while that are being very thoughtful about creating these amazing experiences, and you see their, their artistry, you know, come through. It's not just the music, it's the set and the setting and the, the, the entire kind of feel of the event that they're trying to create. And that that is different for every artist, and it's a it's a big part of creating just these amazing moments.
1: Hey, Stephen, I saw news that Stage It launched a program with venues, and we haven't talked about that. What exactly is that?
0: Yeah, and we did this very early on. You know, we are live music fans ourselves, um, and we felt it was really important for us to help, however we could, keep venues afloat during the pandemic when folks couldn't, you know, go out to these clubs and couldn't go see shows. So We started in May of 2020, our venue program, um, and we started to reach out and put cameras into venues or sign venues up to, you know, just do shows and bring equipment in. some of these historic venues, we've really focused on kind of the iconic historic venues like the Bluebird and, and outside of Nashville, Tennessee, you know, Preservation Hall and DBA in New Orleans, now Snug Harbor as well. Um, Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, Cervantes in Denver. These are kind of, these are iconic rooms um, that we really wanted to make sure didn't go away. And so um, we've been streaming, you know, events from these venues all the way through the pandemic. And now that they're starting to reopen, starting to do, you know, shows with them with limited audiences. And the whole idea being that the future is hybrid. And so, you know, how could we enable, these rooms to start live streaming and start to learn how to do this so that when they did start to bring audience and fan back fans back into these rooms, they already were kind of vets at live streaming and already had the rig set up and already knew how to do it. And it was, it was relatively straightforward to them. So there's a lot that goes into that we train the existing staff, you know, typically the sound and lighting teams on how to do this. You know, we put all the equipment in and train everybody on how to use the equipment. We train them on how to set up the shows so that they can just be self-service and do this all themselves.
1: Awesome. Well, um, this is really interesting. Uh, I have to take another quick break for an announcement. But when I come back, Stephen, I want to ask you about what artists and managers and even promoters should do to prepare for this hybrid reality that you're seeing coming. We'll be right back. What's up, beautiful listeners? I've got a question for you. What do you want to hear next? Let me know at pages.musictectonics.com slash feedback. Suggest future guests and music tech topics you want to hear us cover and tell us how we're doing. Again, that's pages.musictectonics.com slash feedback. Look forward to hearing from you. All right, we're back with Stephen White from Stage It. Uh, Stephen, I want to ask you, uh, if you are correct about this emerging hybrid model, how should artists and managers prepare? How should promoters prepare for the new reality?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, if you look at what Live Nation just announced this week with 60 venues being lit, up. I think I'm not alone in believing that the future is hybrid here. And I think folks are already starting to... um, operate in this, this mode. And so there's a bunch of things that, you know, artists need to think about, you know, do artists still want to, you know, perform live as many times as they were before? And if not, you know, how do you augment that with live streams? So, you know, be thoughtful about routing and what you're doing there in terms of how you allocate your time and understanding that you now have this additional capability to perform, you know online do you do you need to do as many you know stops as you did before is it really going to generate more revenue for you or not um and then it to the extent that you are touring you know what are the shows that you want to live stream you need to be very thoughtful about that ahead of time because there is if the venue is not set up to live stream there is you know a whole set of stuff that goes into enabling that to happen you know um promotion and ticketing and all that kind of stuff is kind of outside of your live event. You know, we do all that, you know, on these platforms. So on stage it, if you're working with us, we help you, you know, manage all the ticketing for these events. We do all a, a bunch of marketing and promotion and, and work to help you promote the, uh, the event itself. So the sooner you get all that stuff set up and, and, and think that all through and give us enough time to really promote these events it's really important. I think people think about this as the internet. oh, we'll just go turn it on and you know people will come. There's a lot of events happening online now and uh, there's uh, it's important for you to reach your fans and to reach them with enough time for them to plan and buy tickets and plan their nights as well, much like they would a live event. So you've got to treat it in a similar fashion. You know, we want at least three or four weeks ahead of the event to start promoting and, and pushing it. Um, and then, you know, be thoughtful about the content. You know, um, a lot of artists will just do a show that they would do live. Um, but the question is, do you have ways that you augment that live show with some additional things, whether it be, you know, pre-show, you know, sneak peek before you take the stage after the show, you know, meet and greets, whatever they are. There's a lot of things that you can do using the online platforms that you would never do in real life. You know, you're not going to let the whole crowd backstage to come hang out with you, but you can do that online and not, you know, feel uncomfortable about it. So there's a lot of things like that, that artists just need to think about.
1: And what's the role of promoters in this emerging world?
0: Yeah, but we're working more and more with promoters. You know, content programming will always have a role, right? And and the more that um, promoters can be thoughtful about putting together great content, um, you know, putting together these great experiences, we've done. You know, I think the the Lebo, Dan Liebowitz show that we just did at the Chapels a great example of this. The promoter folk, yeah. Um, you know, brought in an incredible light show, you know, they created an ambiance for the show itself that made the live event experience in this kind of socially distanced pod, like, you know, reality that we live in made that special and made that great, but it translated so well into the live stream because they were so thoughtful about it. And we had time to work with them and kind of set it all up nicely. It was just beautiful. You know, and, and when you can create these beautiful experiences, fans go crazy for it, you know, and that that was one where we did, you know, four shows over two nights after the first show word was getting out like that was incredible. And more people came because the first show, you know, had such a great reputation of being so good.
1: Yeah, cool. That makes sense. You know, you were talking about promotion and lead time. Can you tell us about the partnership you launched with Spotify and how that relates to getting the word out?
0: Yeah, we're really excited uh, to be integrated with Spotify. Um, this is part of the uh, Spotify for Artists program. And what they're doing is they're starting to promote virtual shows, much like they do live shows. And bring those listings into the artist profile on Spotify. So if you're a, a performer on Stage It and you have a, a artist profile on Spotify, your Stage It performances will now show up there uh, in your artist profile and will allow your fans on Spotify to access uh, those shows and just amplifies the uh, you know, the availability of these shows to the fan base so it's part of a new program that we've launched at stage called artist amplified um spotify integration is the first uh first integration and, and a huge one because they bring such a massive fan base uh, to bear.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's one of the things that's been tricky with the the move to streaming on the recorded side is you're building up your fan base inside these platforms where you don't necessarily have direct relationships with the fans. So the more of that kind of content that can get pushed in there brings them back into the other side of the ecosystem, like the live side or the merch side and and that kind of stuff. So that, that's definitely cool to see.
0: Yep, absolutely. And we, you know, the more we can do that the better we think. And there's some really exciting things coming for us um, with the launch of the 2.0 version of the product, which is coming soon, um, which just brings a broader level of integration of all of those different tools that the fan, that the artist has, you know, their merch store, their relationship with brands, the causes that they care about, all of those things need to be, you know, seamlessly integrated into the fan experience. So it's not, quite as disjointed as it is today where you've got to go multiple places to kind of get all those
1: things. Yeah. Well, Stephen, this has been awesome. Before I let you go, um, as I said at the top of the interview, we, we kind of got to know each other through these music technology conferences and music industry conferences and so forth. You've been a great supporter of the Music Tectonics Conference, um, which we're doing again this October with some special stuff coming up, uh, some exciting hybrid model that we're looking forward to talking about as well. Um, but separate from live streaming, what are some music tech trends and companies that you're keeping an eye on? What else else should our listeners uh, find out from the world of Stephen White's uh, kind of trend spotting?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very um, bullish on um, VR uh, and, and AI. I think, um, I think we're starting to see with some of the early um, shows, whether they be in Roblox or Fortnite or some of the stuff that companies like Wave are doing. I think it's a really, really interesting evolution of performance to give folks, again, this kind of new canvas of creativity where, you know, it's not just the things that you can think of in the real world. It's things that you, anything you can think of that can be drawn, animated, you know, and created in these virtual worlds. It allows for this kind of escapism into these other kind of, you know, virtual realities that are just incredible. And the gamification around it, I think, is also really interesting. People want to be engaged. They want things to do. You know, like our attention span has been so reduced um, because of our use of technology. That, you know, if, if you don't give folks something to do in the experience that they're attending, they're going to sit on their phone and do something <laughs> anyway, because that's just the way we operate as human beings now. So I think the gamification piece and some of the things that I, Roblox is really an amazing platform. I think some of what they're doing with the metaverse is, is, is amazing. And just keep, keep, your, keep tabs on that as they continue to expand what they have uh, going on in their platform. I'm also a big fan of... Um, of virtual currencies. I think NFTs are, you know, there's a little bit of a, a fad around this right now that I think is distracting to the reality of what this does, which is, you know, really gives artists the ability to create something special for fans and to, to either sell them or give them, you know, things that, you know, are these equivalent of what we as, kind of live music fans have had for years, ticket stubs, concert posters, you know, remembrances of these experiences that stay with you. And the idea that that now has, you know, an attachment, a real attachment to the show, to the artist, that there's the ability to really, you know, prove that it is, you know, the actual thing from the actual time. Like, I, you know, it's the, I was there. People have always... Loved that idea, and I think the ability to bring it into the digital world is just going to be, you know, incredibly um, successful. And and the use is much broader than just buying, you know, a drawing or painting, virtual painting that someone put to, put together.
1: Yeah, I love that. I'm, 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 uh, I'm. I feel similarly about the trend around it versus the 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 larger pattern. Uh, you know, like what's what's exciting and hypey right now is not as much what I'm excited about so much as the larger pattern that you're talking about. And for me, the real pivot point will be when it feels like whatever that digital item is that you're purchasing or owing or or basically raising your hand and say, "Hey, this represents who I am. This is my musical identity. This is the experiences I have." If you've had shared experience you're like me, let's connect, you know, um, is once those things cross platforms where it's not just watching a video on one platform or viewing a piece of art on one platform, but it literally has a cape in Minecraft, a t-shirt in Roblox, a weapon in Fortnite that is all tied to one kind of digital item that you almost like a subscription to an item that you can carry because you you don't buy a t-shirt at a concert and then only wear it in that stadium you wear it yeah. to the store you wear it to school to work whatever else yeah that's right that's once right. once the digital item gets beyond the locked into these containers and i think the crazy thing is it's because of the connection to the blockchain and the cryptocurrency that it could cross platforms
0: yeah that's right and you know the, the barriers have been the, the containers as you call them have been a necessity of the 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 reality of where the technology was right yeah um, and So we're starting to get to the point where the interoperability, it's, it's, it doesn't necessarily work the same in each of those containers. And there's still a bunch of stuff to figure out in terms of how you take that thing that you bought into container A or container B and have it be something else. But the idea that you can start to do that, I think is incredible. And it's going to, it's, you know, it just feeds into this you know, the dawn of the creator culture here. I mean, we are, we've seen it, you know, with platforms like Patreon and OnlyFans and all these things, you know, becoming just massive, massive successes. What it speaks to is when you empower creators and you give them the ability to, you know, use these blank canvases, they do amazing things. And so, you know, we're getting to the point where the canvas can be anything um, and can go anywhere. And that's pretty incredible. Because it's been, it's been something that we in the in the music tech, the media tech world, have been thinking about for, you know, almost thirty years now, <laughs> um, and it's been little kind of blips along the way that have gotten us closer and closer. But it feels like we're really kind of on the doorstep of a real evolution here that um, will just continue to empower creators and hopefully allow them to monetize their craft in a way that makes it sustainable and they can you know not have to have three jobs <laughs> while also being creators and you know fans have easy access to them and 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 can you know patronize them in ways that um that they want to whether it be minimal or 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 these huge kind of elephant fans that you know would do anything for an artist yeah i think it's, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting
1: stuff. Well, it's so fun f- to, to see you hop to, to the different roles you played in the industry, but topic to topic, because one minute you're talking about a folk musician who's had some success. And then we're talking about uh, the, the, the real future potential of NFTs. Um, and it's just great to have you back on the podcast. Great to have you as part of the Music Tectonics community. Um, we'll have to get you back involved again this year as we start to roll out what we're doing. Thanks, Stephen. It's, yeah, it's been great having you on the podcast again. And... And uh, yeah, hopefully, people will meet up with you at our next event.
0: Thanks, everybody. It's been a pleasure being here. Thanks, Dimitri, for having us.
1: All right. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We put out new episodes every week. Want more? Find it at MusicTectonics.com. You can dig deeper into this episode, learn about our annual conference, get the Music Tectonics app and sign up for our newsletter. MusicTectonics.com has it all. Also, look for Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. And connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, on LinkedIn. Peace.
0: You're listening to Music Tectonics.